But at the end of the day, for what companies actually want out of the thing, there hasn't been much progress. I think a lot of progress is going to happen as machine learning shifts towards metrics and these easier modes of integration. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. I predicted years ago that my business would be using machine learning for much of what we do manually today. And when I talk to people like Oljan Sersino, I know that day is coming. Sersino is the CEO at a company called Scaled Inference. He studied and worked under Peter Norton from Google, the guys who wrote the book on machine learning and spent the last 25 years as a developer engineer. Scaled Inference focuses on applying machine learning to user interactions and to personalize their experiences in ways we could never do by ourselves. If you can understand how machine learning is different, you can understand how your digital marketing will be changed in the near future. And so my interest was, okay, this is great, but how do we, how do we uh, make this useful? How do we build a platform that enables others? In this episode, I'm going to change the fundamental question you ask as a marketer. You'll no longer ask, will this creative work for my audience? You'll ask, which people in my audience will this creative work for? And we're going to ask some more questions. And we're going to answer some other questions. How do we pull meaningful things out of our data in a reasonable amount of time? How do we understand the information that the machine pulls for us? Are we optimizing for the right things? And if not, can machine learning even work for us? How do we take all of this data and make it matter? And how do we as marketers become better at using tools and resources available to us in the age of Moore's Law? I start the conversation asking Oljan, is the future of marketing AI all about personalization? You will see another term coming up called contextualization. Contextualization, that is new. The combination of personalization and contextualization. Companies are going to start realizing that a lot of ideas that they've had for marketing or other reasons have actually been wasted by testing them on the wrong segments and in the wrong context. It makes complete sense. But personalization, we, we tend to mean usually having to do with attributes of a person or, 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 or people. So what's best for you may not be the best for me, that kind of thing. Um, but there's also the question of context. So for you, in different contexts or settings, like on different devices, on different connections, you know, when, when you're on uh, you know, 3G in India, uh, you're, you're probably exposed to the experience differently when you're on your fast, uh, you know, connection, uh, you know, at home, your desktop. So those are different contexts in which you experience things, right? So that also matters. And especially if you think about across populations of users, you can imagine, um, you know, even the time of day being, being a huge signal of how people are going to uh, behave yeah. when exposed to a certain experience. So, uh, so there's a lot more than kind of attributes you can assign to specific people or, or persons than the things uh, we discussed. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing how much work we do 
manually to um, adjust for these different contexts. So you guys, as I said um, earlier, I'm familiar with Sentient Descend, which was one of the first tools that we saw that allowed us to figure out what combination of ideas was going to work, but it was for the entire population or for whatever segments we would manually segment for. We could say we only want to target this particular learning process at a at visitors coming from paid search or only people coming from organic search or only people who are return visitors, et cetera. Exactly. You guys have taken the other end of it uh, and really have said, all right, we want to figure out, number one, which contexts matter. The difference between a person visiting on Chrome, a person visiting on Firefox, everything else being the same, there may not be a significant difference in, in the kind of information that they need. There'll be other signals, or maybe they all belong to one segment if everything else is the same. So this is very exciting to me. The brass ring would be able to do both of those things. So first and foremost, our philosophy is everything should follow from optimization. So metrics first. So in fact, like these concepts of personalization or contextualization, they only come about because it turns out that the way to improve the metric is to present a different experience or different variant or different action for different people in different contexts. So that's the only reason it comes about. Uh, this is why we talk about not predefining your uh, hypothesis in terms of which segments to test on. Let those emerge from the optimization, from the metric. If it improves the metric to apply a different action in some segment, that's, that's when that segment becomes relevant. That's when that hypothesis becomes relevant. So, so that's, that's the one thing that we focus on. The other thing is um, that uh, you're right. You know, compared to Santian Ascent, I think the, the most obvious differentiation we have is, is this focus on context and being able to let context emerge from, from the data. And, and as a result, though, being able to almost guarantee metric improvement. So this is kind of unheard of that no matter what variations you throw into a system, it will actually give you a metric improvement. You better make sure you got the, the good combinations in there and there's sufficient data to resolve the difference in your predefined segments. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that there's a key distinction here um, that is, so we're used to optimizing a, um, a website for a segment and so we create ideas that we think will apply to that segment. What you're talking about doing is taking ideas, hypotheses we call them, and letting them find their segment, so to speak, or letting them find their context. Yeah. Um, so it's not a question of will this idea improve things for this segment, but which segment will this idea improve things for? And I yeah. find that fascinating. Yeah, and, and then you, you iterate. So that's where the process is kind of inverted. So the system improves your metric, but then you ask the question of how, okay, which segments are you finding relevant and which actions are you using in those segments? And then obviously you, you would remove the actions, the combinations of actions, you know, if you're doing multivariate optimization, you remove the ones that are not being used because uh, you don't want to maintain them in your, in your, you know, marketing or product. But also you don't, you don't know which segments are relevant and you can start asking questions and developing hypotheses if you like about those segments, but they have emerged from data. So there is this iteration going on, right? Because we still need people to come up with the next batch of ideas. 
Yeah, and one of the drawbacks and one of the reasons we haven't really been excited about personalization tools is because personalization tools can do a pretty good job of telling us based on really context variables, but also uh, where a visitor has been, some of the advertising metrics, um, where they are in the purchase process. So they can say this person is early, way high in the funnel, they're just starting their decision-making process, or they're down low, they've been to a lot of places, and they're close to making a decision. But then these tools say, okay, marketer, you decide what you need to say to someone who's high in the funnel or low in the funnel or um, coming in a particular context that, that these tools have outlined for you. And as marketers, we are notoriously bad at saying, well, a guy at the top of the funnel isn't interested in price. Well, a transactional buyer is interested in price at the top of the funnel until they see that they're going to get a better price. They don't do any research. A relational buyer, on the other hand, is not interested in price until they're confident they're on the track of something that is probably the right choice. So how do you how do you do that? So one thing is that the segments or contexts that are being targeted by these kinds of systems, they don't have to be small. So you could still be talking about segmenting, let's say your population half and half. You know, half the people fall in one segment and the other half in the other, but the boundary between them might be complicated. Like it might be, you know, people on um small screen iOS devices connecting on a weekend, you know, from the East Coast. You know, that might be half your population, but the rule is complicated. Does that make sense? So segment is still quite large. You actually need large segments to get statistically significant patterns and not not get lost in, you know, superfluous um, you know, noise sometimes it's called. So so that's very important. Uh, this isn't about finding smaller and smaller segments. That's actually very secondary. And it only happens when you have massive data sets and, and there's really no limit to how far you could go. But then there's other limitations, like how many different actions do you really have available? Because if you have two variations, A or B, you only have two segments that matter. You know, the segment in which you do A and the segment in which you do B. So it doesn't matter that we can segment your data uh, millions of ways. So there's some natural limits to which segments make sense. They have to be large, and they have to be generally few in number. Even if you introduce many variations or many combinations of variations, which is easy to do these days, uh, you still find that most of the results, most of the metric improvements come from a small subset. So maybe you, know, you introduce 100 different combinations, but only you know, three to five of them are really providing most of the benefit, that means there's only three to five segments that matter. And they're probably fairly large because if they were small, then um, you could probably eliminate the personalization for that segment and, and, and still not much, if that makes sense. So It does make sense, absolutely, yeah. I don't know if you were able to completely finish your discussion of small business versus enterprise. You talked about implementation issues. Is that usually the biggest challenge? Um, one of the first questions I always get asked is like, okay, how much, how many sessions per day, how many sessions per month do I need to take advantage? And, and the good news is that it, it's not much. You can, you can start optimizing and improving your metrics reliably with as little as a hundred sessions a day. So that, that would be kind of the lower bound of what I think makes sense for, for systems like this. And that's a hundred sessions or a hundred transactions. We just call them sessions in general. The, the definition of a session depends on 
the use case. Now, after you define the session, let's, let's make sure there are enough sessions. And then the question you're asking is, within those sessions, is there enough signal to learn, right? Mm -hmm. Enough, like, positive transaction signal. That's a, that's a whole other question. You're right. There are solutions to that, though. You touched upon that earlier, that there's proxy metrics that you can define, but you, sometimes you, you end up finding that the proxy metrics are not correlated and so on. Uh, often, it's possible to define a funnel that leads up to a transaction. Like people are not going to check out before they add something to the cart. Okay. So right. a lot more people add to cart than check out. And people are not going to add to cart without actually looking at the product page. Right. Right. So, and a lot more people are going to look at the product page. So often, you know, yes, there's this final thing that actually matters, which is your checkouts and revenue, for example. But there's these events that have to happen along the way. So by definition, they're positively correlated. And we, we would suggest actually companies make sure to define those metrics as part of the optimization and, and let our system use whatever signal is available. You know, if early on there's little data and all we can do is get more people onto the product page, that's fine. That's what the system will do. Mm -hmm. Later on, we get a lot more signal about, you know, adding to cart and then checking out, that's when we will actually take advantage of those signals, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm curious about what kind of a, a perfect scenario is for implementation and managing. We're kind of holding out the promise that this is, a, oh, I'm going to take a bunch of ideas, I'm going to drop them into the system, and then I get to go, I don't have to worry about anything else. I just watch the numbers climb as the, the machine learns. Can you talk about what the real reality is of it in terms of, for instance, do we want to stop at some point and use some A-B testing to verify the results that we're getting on certain segments? Or do we, uh, at what point do we stop and say, okay, we're kind of done with this process. We need more new ideas, new, more fresh ideas to continue optimizing. Well, there is the good news and the bad news. Uh, <laughs> so the good news is you know, our ideas, you know, as people managing these systems and, and kind of deciding what to do next. So those are still extremely important for driving long-term improvements. And I'll talk about the process. I'll be specific in a minute, but just in terms of big picture. And maybe that's the bad news. I don't know how you look at it. Do you really want to just kind of take a, take a vacation and, <laughs> and not have to do anything? But the other side of it, though, and this is, I think, where we add a lot of value is that we've solved the problem of not being able to drive improvements after coming up with the ideas. So, so we will improve that metric after you, you know, introduce the ideas to the system. However, for longer term growth, you know, that might give you a 5% conversion increase, for example, mm -hmm. in the first month or two. But that's not where you stop, right? You want to actually put yourself on a new growth curve, right? You want to keep improving. You want another five, another 10. So that's going to come with people iterating with the system. And the way that typically works is you introduce some variations to the system. You run it for about a month. Um, you see what the metric improvement is, and you, you look at the policies. You ask uh, which variations are being used and in which segments. Now, from there, you probably want to remove some of the variations that are not worth maintaining. So that's very standard. You want to make sure the metrics are what you want them to be. So often there's a realization, oh, you know, now purchases are up, but cancellations are also up, that kind of thing. So 
So there's a there's an iteration on the metrics, and then you probably want to think about um, the context that are available to the system. You know, based on the segments you're seeing are being used, uh, you might realize, oh, let me also provide this other context that will make my policy, you know, maybe more readable. You know, like you don't want to look at Chrome versus Safari. You want to look at uh, like age. You know, if you think that's correlated with age and you had access to age, but you didn't send us age, that might be a point where you decide to send us age. Do you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. This mm -hmm. kind of iteration that would happen, uh, we, we suggest on a monthly basis. But by iterating on, you know, existing use cases and then, and then coming up with new use cases, you know, oh, let me actually optimize this part of the funnel also, introduce another variation here. Or actually, you know what, let me not just optimize, you know, sign-outs, but do cancellations also, which is an entirely different type of funnel. You know, so these kinds of iterations are still important. And this is how we recommend companies use tools like this. Can you talk about machine learning in the rest of the stack? So what are the tools, what other tools outside of just uh, scale inferences offering are going to surprise marketers? But by and large, I think marketing of all disciplines is focused on metrics, right? It's, it's all about KPIs and improving them. And I think, you know, there's varying degrees of how much people think of metrics, but at some point it will matter. <laughs> and so for, for machine learning, I think we have to look at it from the perspective of the, of the user, of the, of the practitioner or, or the marketer. And I think from that perspective, it's got to be about focused on metrics and results but also about you know ease of integration and ease of application, uh, and then interpretability of the the results or the actions. And I think in that regard, um, machine learning has a long way to go, long long way to go. And there isn't that much actually that is really accessible, really usable even these days. You know, as as, as much progress as has been made recently. Uh, the progress there is is is, is quite limited. Uh, it's still the same paradigm of, you know, finding a sub-problem that's a well-known machine learning problem, some kind of prediction problem, gathering data, building models, deploying those models. I, I don't see much progress there for, for marketers, honestly. I don't see much progress there for product managers, uh, even for developers. You know, I, I see progress there for very sophisticated companies, you know, who, who've been trying to do machine learning, but it's been difficult for them to scale it or it's mm -hmm. been difficult to try different algorithms and so on. Of course, yeah. that's made easier. But at the end of the day, for what companies actually want out of the thing, there hasn't been much progress. I think a lot of progress is going to happen as machine learning shifts towards metrics and these easier modes of integration, like what we're trying to do here, right? So as as companies find it easier to apply machine learning and AI to their problems that they really care about, like improving your metrics, that's when I think machine learning will become truly useful and truly relevant. So, so that's an exciting, I think, shift that you're going to see. Reinforcement learning, you may have heard of, is the branch of machine learning that focuses on that. It's about optimizing for rewards, you know, um, and you're going to hear a lot more about that in the coming years. A lot of marketers, digital marketers, are um, dealing with helicopter executives or um, an organization that feels like, well, I know what marketing is, so therefore I can come in and, and add my opinion to things. Will your tool help me deal internally with 
some of the bad decisions that can be made because of personal opinion? There's no best metric or perfect metric. But what are we focusing on now? Uh, once there's alignment on that, I, then I think kind of confidence and trust flows from getting results, you know, getting improvements on the metrics. And that's been what's missing in experimentation because you have an idea, you think it'll work great, but, but it actually is being tested on the wrong segments and it's taking too long. And, oh, you we wasted all this time, no results. You know, like, how do we know your next idea is going to work? Why should we even bother testing it? That kind of thing. So, so if we can deliver consistent, reliable results on the metrics that companies care about, I think that takes care of a lot of the confidence issues and trust issues. Have you gotten any uh, pushback from design teams that have traditionally been able to design based on their interpretation of qualitative data or research um, or just on their experience as marketers delivering their designs? And now suddenly there is this data-driven AI in the middle of the process telling them which designs are working, which designs aren't working. Do you see any, any pushback from your customers? Well, strictly less pushback than they would have for A-B testing. I mean, no, nobody likes testing or experimentation. You know, nobody likes their work being subject of some test that may fail or succeed. So, mm -hmm. so what we're talking about here is actually strictly better than that, right? We're saying that we will find the segment in which your idea works. So we're going to look for that. We're going to find it if it, if it exists. And in many cases, it does exist. In many cases, People's hunch, the designer's hunch is actually correct. It's just a matter of figuring it out from the data, identifying that group from the data. So we've been able to do that reliably. And, and to the extent we can, it's about for any given design, finding or being able to find in the data which segment it's good for and then apply it there. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's such a backward, such an unusual way of thinking for those of us that are, are experimenters. For designers, I, I think they would they would find that uh, intuitive. You know, they, they already understand, okay, this is not good for everyone. Everybody gets, you know, like one size doesn't fit all. I, I just think this design is better because of X or Y. Um, I, yeah, I don't expect this kind of tool to get definitely not more pushback from designers. I think this would be actually embraced pretty, pretty well. It is data-driven. So you have to accept at some point that your design, for example, is only good for 10% of the population. So that might be that might be kind of something you're not ready for. You think it's good for 90%. And I think you already addressed the fact that we can take more creative risks because you'll either find the right segment or if it just doesn't work, that will get pruned. Or we'll know and can go in and prune those ideas. Yeah, that's um, one thing that we want to fix. This, this perception of risk in experimentation is only because of the way it's done now. This, this preconceived... Uh, segments that things are being tested on, um, that can be fixed to the point where people don't see any risk anymore in introducing variants or ideas. Almost everything you try does improve your metric. And it's just a question of how much and how quickly. My favorite takeaway from my conversation with Oljan Sersino is that context matters. There's one big context that you don't need machine learning to address. It's the context of your mobile visitors. Now, you may say that your website is responsive and that you've already addressed the smartphone context, but you haven't. Do you want proof? Check your analytics.
Your smartphone conversion rates are probably a half or a quarter of your desktop sites, even with that responsive design. I know this without even looking at your analytics. Mobile visitors are coming in a completely different context than desktop visitors. They don't need a shrunk down version of your website. They need a different website. Fortunately, you don't need a machine learning program to identify these visitors. You can start personalizing your mobile site to deal with this new context. Try this. Reduce the number of fields you have on your mobile forms or eliminate the forms altogether. You can replace them with click to call or if you have an e-commerce site, make add to cart secondary and use mobile to build your subscriber list. Email after all is the lifeblood of e-commerce. Now, if your website is generating millions of visits, you may want to consider putting that data to work for you. Not every business is ready for machine learning, but you don't want to be the last business in your marketplace to start using it. Oh, and when you get back to the office, I recommend that you share this podcast of intended consequences with someone else in your company. It'll make you look smart and forward thinking. All right, scientists, that's it for this week. 